both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to the Bizval Podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Bizval Podcast, another truly international show. I have to almost pinch myself sometimes with the sort of people I'm getting to speak to lately. I mean, the last three weeks, I feel like I climbed on a on an airplane, went to Scotland, then across to France, and now all the way across to the US. So time zones are always an interesting one with this, but I've been doing the Magic Markets Podcast with my friend and partner, Mohamed Nalla in Canada for a while now. So I'm used to uh, the time of day we need to do this. So welcome to my guest this week, Mike Finger from Exit Oasis. Mike, thank you so much for making time to join me this week on this Bizwell podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. So I'm going to get straight into it, actually. There's a really interesting point in your bio. And I want to touch on that before we get to know you a bit better, because I think it says so much about the journey you've perhaps been on, you know, something I found on your website. And it talks about how you were... 10 years into a business with 50 five zero employees when you discovered what you had built was in your words unsellable now that obviously must have been a pretty awful experience i have a lot of experience advising founders who have kind of been in the same boat to be honest with you it's not a unique situation as you well know uh you know i think let's start there you know what made your business unsellable because for some founders that would truly just come as such a shock that a business of that size and that has been around for that long can't actually be sold it was a huge shock for me i i thought i had done my homework i remember reading an article that said a business like mine would commonly sell for two times revenue and sure enough i chased revenue i i thought i had done my homework why wasn't it sellable you know, all the, all the greatest hits, uh, not enough cash flow to an owner dependent, lack of a management team. It's almost as like I was unknowingly building a list of what not to do if you want to create a business you could sell. But it was a devastating experience for me at the time. I, and I didn't know at the time it was also going to be a massive personal and professional pivot for me. But it was, uh, I can remember sitting at my desk, hanging up the phone after having talked to the third or fourth business broker who gave me the brush off. And I couldn't believe it because, of course, by that point, I was so burnt out. I, I needed, I thought I, I, I couldn't see how I was going to do another day. But moving forward with the sale was just not an option. Yeah, it's not easier to build an unsellable business than to build a sellable one. It's not like you took the easy route and put your hands up and said, oh, damn, I can't sell this. You know, that's not how this works. I can imagine the burnout. It must have been uh, very tough. It was. It was. And, and like I said, I, I want to give myself at least some credit to say I had done some homework. I thought I knew what I was doing. But uh, as you alluded to earlier, like most owners, uh, that I experienced what most owners do as it relates to learning about this topic. I, I reached what I thought was my exit point only to learn that exiting wasn't, wasn't going to happen. So, but 
a common experience for owners. Kudos to you for, for turning it into something else. I think that's brilliant. What industry was it in out of interest? Was it a tech business? No, it wasn't a tech business. Just when you said revenue multiple, I was just curious. Yeah, no, okay. it, it, uh, we provided back office management and compliance support to uh, nonprofits, associations, and schools. So I had a number of accountants, professionals. The business itself was providing a good service, lots of good stuff there, which was, of course, what allowed me to change the business over the next several years and actually get to a point of exit there there was good stuff there but uh so you, you did manage to sell it in the end you actually had to go and we did five five years later uh, I, I at that point i i took that journey myself what am i what have i done wrong what does a business need to look like in order to be able to sell and it was a it was a deep dive into that trench for, for me because i knew i i couldn't just walk away. I knew that that wasn't a viable option for me. So I had to figure out a path forward. Incredible. So I think let's take a big step back. You know, you are in the US. Um, I asked you earlier where you are, but I think uh, some of these these names are so interesting to a South African audience and, and, and every, everyone really, because you're not in the sort of standard San Francisco one in New York on the other. You're somewhere more interesting than that. So I'm going to ask you again, you know, where in the US are you? I'm looking out your window there behind you and there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful tree at least. I don't know how foresty it is back there, but it, it looks stunning. I'm in, I'm in the upper Midwest. I'm in a state called Wisconsin on uh, the western part of the state, just outside of the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. So there we go. So out of interest, how vibrant is that market for you know, selling a small business in the US, because obviously from, you know, a country like South Africa or smaller European markets or whatever the case may be, you know, the US is just this juggernaut, right? The old joke is you only have to be big in one state and you have a big business by global standards. I, I would have thought that the US is quite a vibrant market of these businesses sort of changing hands. Is that the case? And is that part of what makes it harder to sell? Actually, there's a lot of competing businesses looking for capital. It is an active market. Vibrant, I think, varies from location to location. There's a lot of listings of small businesses for sale. And, and just a quick point of clarity, I am unapologetically small business. It is the massive part of the market in terms of numbers. And it's where I, I, I spend my time. Those are the businesses I've owned. And what certainly most of, uh, most of your listeners are going to be owners in that, at least in the U.S., uh, over 95% of businesses are considered small, aren't going to reach over $5 million in, in revenue. So, but that is, a, that is an active market, and uh, most small businesses that enter the market seeking a sale will fail to sell. Best numbers say 8 out of 10 that are listed for sale won't sell. It's incredible, right? And it's so heartbreaking because founders spend what they think is their lives building a legacy, all they've built rather is basically glorified uh, self-employment. You know, that that's what they don't unfortunately realize. And I guess this is part of why you started your business, which is called Exit Oasis. It looks like you have an oasis behind you through the window. Was that the, uh, was that the inspiration? No, you know, it, it, thank you. It, it, it is beautiful here. The framing for Exit Oasis was my perception on my own journey that I had, I had looked for information. I had, I had got the information from brokers. I had heard brokers say I can sell any business, they can maximize value. It was a it was a, a dry and dangerous place to wander through as a small business owner. So my hope was to create a place where some information could be provided that really focused on the core basics of doing this. And, and my perception 
is that this is an industry defined by complexity. Most professionals in this industry who make a living make it by mastering complexity, right? The attorneys, the accountants, the brokers, these are folks that are, are bringing that message of let me help you understand all the complications that are out there. But the truth is that most businesses that don't sell, don't sell because of something simple. That's what usually keeps that owner from being able to, to successfully exit the business. And so really focusing down and, and figuring out what are those core basics that an owner needs to be concerned about because owners are crazy busy, right? They're, they have a limited time as they're growing the business, running the business, to spend on this topic and they figure like everything else in their world, I'll get to it when I get to it. The problem is we get to this and it's too late. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, I, that's something I picked up from your website was this focus on helping people get the basics right. And I think that is incredibly important, right? Because again, it doesn't matter how long you've spent building something. That is not what creates value. If it was just a case of timing the seat, every business that is old would be worth a lot of money and every business that is new would be worth very little. And we know that's not true. So timing the seat is a, is a small part, I think, of value creation. You can spend a lot of time doing the wrong thing and you're not going to create value. You can spend a shorter amount of time doing exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. And uh, suddenly you can have something valuable, right? So it's all the other basics. I think you've, you've picked up on something important there. And I would imagine you see a lot of founders who unfortunately just fall into that trap. You know, which of the basics do they tend to get wrong most often? Well, I, it, this process for me was about starting with that master list of information, right? You think of all of the different pieces of uh, content or if I'm going through due diligence as a buyer, what am I going to look at? And and I just started whittling pieces away. Is this is this important or critical, right? Is this is this vital? And where I landed was with three basic questions. And this is what I put to, to owners that, that I'm talking with. Are your results desirable? Can a buyer duplicate your results? And can you document your results? If you can give me a strong yes to those three basic questions, you are well on your way to having a business that you can sell. But think about those questions. Are your results desirable? What are we talking about there? Profitability. Uh, how, how hard is it to be the owner of this business, right? What does what your job actually look like? If, if you can lock down those two things, I as a buyer am going to find that attractive. Where, where do we go wrong as owners? To answer your question, we go wrong when we start to think the value of our business or the sellability falls outside of those basics, right? My brand has mystical value. There's some deep, dark formula hidden within my industry that means my business has value. Yet we've, we're losing money year after year. We don't have desirable results, but we somehow think there's value there. And, and of course, we can find content online that tells us that that's true, right? Hey, I'm holding up my hand, two times revenue guy here, right? Well, guess what? Revenue is meaningless if you're not creating any cash flow for the owner. So it's, a, it's that, that deep desire that so many of us have as owners that the value and the opportunity in our business is somehow gonna transcend the basics of, of ownability. And that's, that's the simple truth, right? Ownability and sellability are the same thing. I meet a lot of owners who come to me because they're miserable and I've gotta ask them, listen, if your job sucks, why would somebody wanna pay you for the opportunity to do it? 
That is such a great point. <laughs> That's exactly right. Why would someone want to pay you $50,000 so that they can earn the salary they used to get without shelling out $50,000? Absolutely. That's 100% Absolutely. Right. It's a, uh, I, I, and I've had those conversations, right? You, you have the owner break down in tears because you've just explained to them that somebody would be better off going to work for less than minimum wage somewhere else because that's what they're going to make if they come to you and now they don't have to make a down payment to do it. It's just we lose sight of the fact. We think value is different from what a buyer can afford to pay. And how does the buyer pay for it? I don't care about valuation personally. I don't go, I'm not a valuation expert. I don't, I don't try to project valuation. What I try to get owners to do is look at how a buyer has to look at this business and go from there to the place. There are, there's expertise in that value space. There are resources available, as you well know, to do that. But we've got to have that buyer's perspective when we look at that business. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So the way we look at it at BizVal is we do a valuation based on what we think a financial buyer would be willing to pay. So that is someone who can put in a third party to manage the business. So whoever that third party is. And one of the key things we do when we value a business is what would that third party manager cost. So it doesn't matter what the founder is taking out of the business. Often they take out too much or too little. They hardly ever take out what they would actually pay someone else to do their job. And you've got to value a business based on that, right? Because that gives you an indication of, you know, restaurants are the worst example. You know, an owner managed restaurant and the owner looks, look at the profit my business is making and it's paying me the salary. Yes, but if you weren't there, you'd have to pay someone else to do the job you're currently doing and what would actually be left at the end. That is you know, just a very real example of what the value looks like. And people think this only happens in small businesses. You know, I'm not sure if the concept of an SME is commonly used in the US, a small and medium enterprise. It's used a lot in South Africa. I'm guessing it's, it's not a term that we invented by any means. It's used in the UK a lot too. And the point is, you know, those businesses can get quite big and they can suffer from exactly the same problem. To your point, you can have 50 employees. It doesn't mean the equity is worth anything. And it's a, it's a really it's a it's a really hard thing, you know. I, I I enjoyed your reference to the brand having mystical value. I mean, if anyone's brand should have mystical value, it's a ghost. And uh, I'm well aware that uh, that's just that's just not how it happens, you know. We have these discussions with people. We've had a few webinars at Bizval where entrepreneurs will ask that exact question, you know. But my brand, I've been operating on the same street corner for the past 40 years. Everyone knows I'm here. That comes through in your revenue, or it isn't valuable. It's it's a hard it's a hard message, right? That's right, because otherwise, all you've all you've proven is that a business in this location that does this can't make any money, right? That that's that's what you've proven to me. And and the part that we forget as as sellers, we are so all in on our business and focused on it, we forget that the buyer has choices. That while they're looking at your business, they're also looking at 17 other options. And guess what? This one's, the results over here are more desirable. Or I only got to work 45 hours a week over here, not the 75 that you're pulling in to get your meager earnings. It's, I'm making a choice as a buyer. I am picking the life I want to lead. And if you're representing a miserable experience, I've got other choices. Something interesting is you you very much talk from the perspective of a buyer who is an individual buying a business to move into and operate. Is that typically what you see in the US market? Because it's I suppose we see that you know, I suppose we see that in South Africa and you'd see it in the UK as well. But it's just interesting because generally speaking, a lot of the entrepreneurs we speak to are looking to sell out to either small private equity funds or 
you know, listed companies or family offices. Yes, it's occasionally an individual who wants to buy it and work in the business, but not not that often actually down here. It sounds like that's almost the standard practice on that side. Is that correct? Or is that just what you generally work in? If you look at the sales in the U.S., the most common buyer is an individual who is going to go to work in the business. That is the most common buyer of the small business in the U.S. I can't speak for other markets, but my gut tells me. I mean, again, we, we keep in mind that for every one of those private equity sales, and if you look at private equity in the U.S., we're talking you know, six, seven, eight thousand deals a year in total. There's 30 million businesses in the U.S. Well, guess what? That is a minuscule fraction of small business. And for them, of course, small business is 50, 100 million, right? I mean, they define small very different. So for every one of those deals that's happening, there's dozens of the small business owner who's got the person walking through the door who wants to replace them. And so that, that, and again, that messaging is, is prevalent out there and it's part of what I believe corrupts the seller's perception of what's going to happen, right? I read about private equity, what do I read? What are their multiples, right? What, uh, all of these things, and that doesn't apply to the average business. It just doesn't. And so that, that to me is, is part of the reason why um, taking that step back, it, it, when I went through this myself and looking and saying, what did I miss? Because I can see those articles that say those things, but the truth of the numbers is something very different. And small means different things in different markets, right? So I think you used a reference earlier. I think I heard you say up to $5 million revenue. Was that right? Correct. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, in South Africa, it's that's... It's like 93 to 95% of businesses in the U.S., don't exceed that annually. Yes, which makes absolute sense because in South Africa, that's absolutely the case as well. So I guess here we're so used to, I mean, to give you a sense, uh, the average sort of size business that we will typically value, the value, not the revenue, the actual value of the business will be somewhere between normally about 60 to 80 million rand. So with the way the rand going is going, that's about $2. Now I'm obviously playing. It's not quite as bad as that. But, uh, you know, it's sort of four, four and a half, three to to four and a half million dollars, you know, depending on where we are, as the value of the business. That's the sort of business size we deal with. But you're right, there are a lot of genuine SMEs that are much smaller that change hands, where I think a lot of the the sort of business brokers tend to actually play. You know, those, those entrepreneurs don't actually get access to professional advice very easily, which I guess is the gap in the market that you are hitting, right? It's to actually help those people. Often the typical mom and pop shop, right? I mean, that's actually the the space you're focusing on. Right, and and 100% agree with what you just said, but keep in mind when we're talking about gap in the market, we're talking about almost the entire market, right? Because those are most owners, but you're right. The brokers, what are they doing? They're chasing up the line because it's actually easier to sell a slightly larger small business than it is to to sell a truly small business. Yes, that is absolutely true. So that's, yeah, it's really, really interesting insights. And it's so cool to learn about a different market entirely. The one thing I want to still ask you, we're running out of time, but, you know, a lot of those deal structures out of interest, is there quite a long handover period from the existing owner to the new owner that gets baked into these contracts to try and create that sort of risk mitigation effect for the new buyer? I mean, we see that a lot in bigger deals, but I would imagine in the smaller deals, it's almost even more important because there isn't always another layer of management underneath that owner. 
Right, right. It's yeah. There's often a uh, transition period where the exiting owner will give three, six, twelve months of uh, consulting and support. There's often a seller financing portion that helps the buyer ensure that the seller is going to be supportive and stick around long enough to answer those questions. They are going to continue to have skin in the game of of the success of the business. So. Yeah, that it, it is a Passover and it's a uh, it's a journey that both need to be in support of. And is that something that you see as a nasty surprise for some of the sellers who you deal with? I mean, do people come to you and think, OK, Mike, I'm done with this business now. I'm tired. I'd like to be playing golf. You know, this time next year, I am I am gone. And there's kind of this harsh reality that that's just not it's just not real life. Unless you've built something that is truly capable of operating without you, in which case you should be playing golf already. Uh, the reality is uh, it's going to take longer than that, right? Because even if you get a quick sale, you're probably still going to have an earn out period. You're going to have to stick around and do an orderly handover. And it's about three years maybe to properly let go from when they sort of start talking to you. Is that about right? It, it, well, it, obvi- it depends on the business. But yeah, there's almost always a journey through preparation and then listing and sale. And Uh, Best estimates from brokers that I talk to now will give a nine to 18 month journey just for the listing and sale part. And that assumes that the business is prepared and ready to sell. And so, yeah, that's a uh, most owners deal with this topic by waiting and failing. That that is the most common experience that owners have with this. And if I can send any message to your listeners, it's spend a little, just a little time. I, 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 I tell owners, put a, a, a lunch period a month in your calendar where you're gonna spend time on this topic. Read an article, go to YouTube, listen to a podcast, do something once a month for a half an hour where you're gonna learn more about selling a business, exiting a business, what does a viable business look like? And then over time, you're gonna see yourself start to get educated and you're gonna start to see yourself make slightly different business decisions along the way. And your business is gonna end up in a very different place where you can actually answer yes to those three basic questions. I'll take it one step further and say every business owner should think about building something that can be sold one day, even if they don't want to. Because I think that if you're- Own ability is sellability. That's it, you know, if you're building a business as though you're gonna sell the thing, even if you think you never will, you're doing all the right stuff. And if you do ever change your mind, you've done all the right stuff already. You don't have to then start the process. So I think that's that's great advice, Mike. And I think we're pretty much out of time, but I want to thank you for your time on this podcast. To our Biswell listeners who want to connect with you all the way over in the US, uh, how do they find you? I know it's on LinkedIn rather than Twitter, but maybe you could just give some guidance on, on how people should reach out to you. Sure. The simple way, exitoasis.com is the website. Uh, you can check us out there. And as you mentioned, I'm a- very active on LinkedIn in this topic area, post daily. So yeah, love to love to connect with owners and uh, please reach out. Fantastic. Mike, thank you so much. That is Mike Finger from Exit Oasis on the Biswell podcast. Mike, thank you. And to our listeners, join us again for more insights next time. Cheers.